With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking forward to being a rain. What are they getting? Everything got of me. They're going to get a Super Bowl out of me. Believe that. Believe that. Hello, welcome to the Ravens Brawl Podcast, a part of the Brawl Network, powered by Fanatics. I'm your host, Dave Stomittle. Jay Schiller is with me, as always. We'll get to Joe in a moment. Training camp is here. The opt-out day has come and passed with no new opt-outs, so the Ravens are only down two players that opted out. We'll get into all that. We'll take a look at the training camp battles as the Ravens Really start to get things going, but as I mentioned, I'm Dave Samuel. Joe Schiller is with me. Joe, how you doing? Good. We got football back in some kind of capacity, given how this offseason and everything's been since the beginning of March and February. It's nice to feel some kind of normalcy with sports back. Yeah. We got all the other sports, football getting started. Um, some of the things that the Ravens and the NFL have in place are kind of fascinating in terms of how they're going to try to handle this virus. I mean, I know you commented on a couple of them. So did I. Just the the the, the cool thing with those wristbands as a way to track everything is, I think, cutting edge and something that a lot of the other sports probably wish they had. And I think the NBA might have something like that. But we got training camp, Joe. Let's dive into that. Yeah, so we thought the best way to start that out since the team uh, officially kicked off training camp this week, so rookies, veterans, the entire 53-man roster is back in Owings Mills. Um, well, more than 53-man roster. They're going to work on cutting it down to a 53-man roster. They do have 80 players. Um, the NFL did reduce some size of rosters um, because of the coronavirus pandemic, because of concerns about uh, a big group of players um, all together in the facility. So we thought the best way to do it would be break down what we think are our top five positional battles heading into training camp. The Ravens coming off, obviously, a, a really good regular season, falling short to the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs, um, have a very loaded roster. But there are still some positional battles that we are going to be looking forward to uh, in training camp. Uh, so we'll kick it off first, Dave. I want to hear uh, your number one uh, positional battle to watch. I'm going to go to the offensive line and and look at the guard position. Really, at at either side, I think is probably the most fascinating position to watch because you don't have a stalwart there. You had Marshall Yonda for all those years. Now Marshall Yonda's gone. And you have and it isn't like they don't have options. They have a lot of options. Now it's trying to figure out what's that pairing that you want to go with at your guard position. And honestly, you'll even throw the center argument in there. Because you're not entirely sure about um, Matt Skurr right now. So there's really the interior of the offensive line is probably the biggest position battle I see. Because you would think DJ Fluker may go to the top of the list, but that's not a guarantee. You know Bozeman is starting somewhere in the interior. Pat McCarry is probably starting somewhere because McCarry looked good enough 
at the end of the season after Matt Skrull went down, but I don't think he plays center. I think he's probably a guard. So you have a couple of those things that factor in. And then what do you get out of a Ben Bredosian, who you took from Michigan? Or do you look at Tyree Phillips, who you talked about potentially being um, a guard at the next level that you drafted at, an, at, at tackle? And you've also got Ben Powers, who was there from last year. Like, there's a lot of options the Ravens have at that guard position. It's trying to find what's that combination that's going to work. Yeah, they had such continuity there last year, and it doesn't help when one of the best guards in the league of Marciano retires. But if we're going into training camp right now, you look at it, and you know Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown are your bookend tackles at left and right tackle. But we don't know uh, what's going to happen on the on the interior. And that was mine. I grouped it all together as my number one would be the interior offensive line because it can be shifted around a lot of ways. Matt Skura, like you had mentioned, isn't fully healthy starting training camp on the active pup list, so he can be activated off at any time. He's made a remarkable recovery up to this point, given the injury that he suffered against the Los Angeles Rams, but it would have been a lot to expect him to be ready at the start of training camp. So you've got a mix of guys being Bradley Bozeman, who started all 16 games at left guard last year, uh, Pat McCarty, who took over for Skura. Uh, and then, obviously, like you mentioned, you have um, – Bredesen, you have Tyree Phillips, and then you have DJ Fluker, who a lot of people do assume can win that starting right guard spot. We don't know that. He got released from the Seahawks for a reason. He is a little bit older, but he is, I mean, do you think about pairing him next to Orlando Brown, just size-wise? I mean, those are two mammoth guys uh, on the right side of that offensive line, but it's going to be interesting because I think there can be a situation where a guy like Bradley Bozeman, who played at left guard last season, gets moved to center, more of his natural position. A lot of it really kind of weighs on how healthy Matt Skura is going to be. Again, if you're looking based off his injury, uh, having an MCL and ACL, uh, I mean, he, he had a, a couple tendons uh, torn in, in that injury, and that is not an easy feat for anyone to come back just to get where he is now, but to get to actual game speed, um, I think is going to be something to watch. But the Ravens are a team that, relied a lot on running the ball last year and the interior offensive line is extremely important. And if you look at it right now, like there are question marks. We don't know what, how this is going to end up. Uh, So let's, before we move on to our second, I want to know right now, if you had to guess what's the starting interior offensive line looks, Joe, what do you think it looks like week one? I'd probably go, I'd probably go Bozeman, left guard, Macari, center, Fluker, right guard. I'm thinking along the same lines, except maybe flipping Bozeman, who, as you mentioned, had played center, maybe a little yep, more correct. natural there, and put Macari, who was more of a guard, at that left guard. But I like what I see out of DJ Fluker. I, Seattle had some weird cap issues going on, um, and they've been trying to overhaul the offensive line. I don't think that's the way they do it, the way they did it, but they did. And I think DJ Fluker, for what you're really going to expect out of him, which is one year, I don't. It, he's not a guy you're looking at for two or three years at the guard position. He's one year, give a chance for a Bredosian or a Phillips or someone that you're developing to take over that guard position, or you're just going to go into – the draft next year and say guard is a priority that we're going to take early but i agree with you i think bozeman though at center 
in a perfect world, you have Skura, Bozeman, uh, Skura at center, Bozeman left guard, and Fluker at right. But I think I would go probably Makari, Bozeman, and Fluker across with, of course, Stanley and Brown on the bookends. My number two is going to be wide receiver. And I think we talk about this group as a lot of unknown. Uh, we expect Marquise Brown to be that number one guy this year, obviously, from what we've seen through his training regimen now that he's uh, fully healthy coming off that list ring foot injury that he can be that number one receiver from Lamar Jackson. Uh, but behind that, there are a lot of questions from that number two spot to however many receivers the Ravens do take on the 53-man roster. You'd think that some of the main guys competing for that number two spot would be Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, and Devin Duvernay, who has, who's gotten a lot of praise coming in as a rookie. Um, and then you've got James Crochet, you have um, Chris Moore, um, and you have a couple other guys like Jaleel Scott, Antoine Wesley, who was in the drafts of free agent last year. Um, I think the the more interesting part of this positional battle is going to be that number three to number five or six guy, because I think we can make a case that assuming that Brown, Sneed, Duvernay, Crochet, um, and Boykin all make the team, uh, and that's including the you know three of you guys from last year and two rookie two rookies, um, that could leave only one spot realistically, or maybe two if they take seven uh, on the 53-man roster. And you've got a lot of guys competing for that. I'm not sure how it's going to pan out, but I would have to feel the back end of that positional battle has got to rely on special teams because we know the Ravens do value that for their players. If you're going to be taking that you know, number five or number six guy, the Ravens are going to be running the ball a lot, or so we presume they will be. So if they, I don't, I, you can't see those guys in the back end of the roster getting many targets or much playing time on the field at all. So you would have to think if they're going to be on the field, it's going to be on special teams. So I think that's an interesting part of it. And also just the development of Lamar Jackson's targets, because I think we can agree the one thing that he really does need to improve on is throwing outside and down the field. Uh, and he's got to have um, some improvement on that this year, especially with defenses um, continuing to adjust to his play. So if Brown and Boykin and some of these rookies can adjust and be uh, these targets for him, then I think this could be a sneaky good passing attack. I think there's just a lot of questions with the entire position overall. I like the receiver conversation. I think um, you, you made some pretty excellent points, and I'm not going to put them on the list. I look at it, it kind of like the interior offensive line. I look at how at the inside linebackers and, and how is that all going to play out? Because you, the one guy that made it from last year was LJ Ford. He looked good. I mean, he was exactly, I think, what the Ravens were hoping you would get out of him. So we know he's there. You got Patrick Queen. You got Malik Harrison, who you both drafted. Harrison could play outside. He can mainly as an interior guy. What about Chris Board? We keep hearing every year Chris Board looks great, can't stay healthy. I'm curious to see what that combination at inside linebacker is going to look like, and I think it'll come down with no preseason. How quickly does Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison pick up the pro playbook? And if they can pick it up well, those are your two starting inside guys because, look, L.J. Fort is as valuable to you at linebacker as he is special teams. He's a core special teamer for you, if if nothing else. But he's a guy that more than earned reps at inside linebacker last year. So that combination, to see what Don Martindale is going to be left with 
come September 13th. I think he's really fascinating. Do you try to pair Patrick Queen with LJ Ford, give him a veteran next to him? Or does Malik Harrison and Patrick Queen look that good in training camp? Or to the opposite end, maybe they they have a little trouble picking up the playbook and all of a sudden now you're left with having to rely on LJ Ford and maybe a Chris Board to give the young guys a chance to step up. So inside linebacker was my number three. Uh, and just kind of piggybacking off some of your comments, I feel like we talked about it last year how that – that group was something that Eric DaCosta kind of pieced together. It was Patrick Owasso and Kenny Young. Uh, and now Owasso's with the Jets and Kenny Young was part of that package deal that brought Marcus Peters to Baltimore. So the Ravens pretty much revamped that group. And I don't think you go and spend a first round pick and a third round pick on guys that you expect to sit on the bench. Um, I expect Queen to be out there week one against the Cleveland Browns. I wouldn't be surprised to see two rookies starting, to be completely honest. And the Ravens could have potentially more of a rotation than we think. Um, it might just, you know, might not just be Queen and Harrison playing that weak side and strong side linebacker, but I do think it's helpful that Chuck Clark's going to be in the back with the green dot communication calling the plays, so a guy like Patrick Queen doesn't have to be overwhelmed with the playbook to a point where he's calling out coverages and different things uh, from Martindale. But I, I think there there definitely is an expectation that you could see two rookies on the field. The Ravens made it a priority to address in the draft, and I just think a lot of it depends on how they develop. Uh, through uh, training camp, especially like you mentioned, it is a shortened time. But I think these are two smart guys coming from two very well-respected and big programs that they can take on a challenge like this. There are no strangers to playing in big games, to playing at the highest level. So uh, I could be of the mindset that I would not be shocked one bit come week one if those two guys are starting. Right. And, and LJ Ford is exactly what you expected him to be. He's the guy that made it out of that group from last year. They didn't pay Bynes, and they didn't pay Owasa. So if you're if you're the Ravens, like you talked about, last year you went in knowing middle linebacker was your weakest spot. We, had, we knew that. Now, it's not your strongest because you don't know how Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison are going to play at the pro level yet, but you have options there that are all pretty darn credible. And guys that you have confidence in running out there just can't wait to see what that combination will look like week one. If I'm a betting man, I don't – I'm not sure Martindale will go with two rookies week one. But at some point, you're going to see Queen and Harrison, I figure, starting at inside linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens at some point in 2020. All right, so what's your number three? So you had uh, you had interior offensive line. Um, an inside linebacker as your first two. So what are we going for number three? Number three is a direct, an indirect result of trading from what you thought was a surplus. And that was the tight end position. And look, we discussed it at the time. It was the move you had to make. But now you've got a hole at your number three tight end. And they've talked about Jordan Reed. They've talked about, Delaney Walker, they've talked about, they signed Jarrell Adams. You're looking at now a position that, okay, you're solid at number one. You have a great number one tight end. No offense or buts about that. You have a pretty solid, dependable blocking tight end, but you don't have a number three if one or one or two goes down. That, it may be the second biggest position battle to see is, who's that third tight end? If you're asking me, Joe, I don't think the third tight end is currently on the Baltimore Ravens roster. I I truly believe that. And this is the result 
And this is why when, when you talk about the running backs, something you should be worried about is it's nice to have three great tight ends, but if you go and trade one, you put yourself right in a spot where all of a sudden you may have a hole down the road, something to consider with the running backs when we talk about that in a little bit. So the number three tight end position is probably the second biggest battle, in my opinion, on the offense behind what's the combination on the offensive line because you went from having a luxury to now you have a bit of a need because, look, Mark Andrews is great, has had some injury issues, and Nick Boyle is not really a receiving tight end. I know he started catching the ball a little bit more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This year, but he's not exactly um, your Mark Andrews Hayden Hurst is going to go catch 50 passes and put up big yards. And look, Mark Andrews, we may get to a point in the season where he ends up opting out, Joe. He's got diabetes, so he's a high-risk player. So that's something else you have to factor in. So whoever the number three tight end is is going to have to have a big and pretty prominent role in the offense, and I just don't think that guy's on the roster. Yeah, it's interesting. The Ravens did sign Terrell Adams, who is pretty much a guy that's going to come and compete for the number three spot. There were reports that they did make a – they were kind of in the bidding for Jordan Reed, which I thought was kind of – Interesting just for the fact that Reed has just struggled to stay healthy throughout his career. Talented, no doubt about it. But when he can't stay on the field, especially with the amount of concussions that he has, he's you know probably one concussion away from not playing anymore. And I thought he was kind of already to that point. Um, but it's fair. I, I, I agree with your point to a bit that I think a guy like Delaney Walker could be that that person to come in, someone who's a veteran, um, who's played under Greg Roman's uh, offensive system. I do think we could see more. Uh, the Ravens had, I believe it was Boyle, Andrews, and Hurst played at least 40 or 45% of the offensive snaps last year. I think you can, I think you'd be comfortable giving Andrews more of a piece of the pie just for the fact of how talented he was. I do truly believe he is a top five tight end in the league right now. And I think by society really, really is that talented. Um, I'm not, I'm not concerned about him opting out at this point. Um, from what he said, he is planning on playing. Um, it's made that very clear. Obviously, things can change, but that's he's come out from the break and said that. Um, who knows? I mean, if, if the Ravens don't sign someone, then then that number three guy could be uh, a Charles Scarf or, or potentially Eli Wolf, uh, Jacob Breland. They placed, uh, they actually waived. Uh, he cleared the waivers and was placed on IR, so he'll be stashed away for his uh, rookie season as he's recovering from a, a torn ACL. So. Maybe maybe it is that you know one of the undrafted guys that comes in. We're not sure. The Ravens uh, still have some time before the beginning of training camp. There are still some options out there, but yeah, I, I see it kind of see this as a situation where we see more of uh, the top heavy guys, and maybe is more of a, a shared distribution as we saw last year. Yeah, it, it's just it's the downside of looking at the depth you had, and instead of looking at it going, hey, this is pretty valuable to go make a move. And look, it's it may benefit. It may come back to hurt. I hope Hurst has a great year with Atlanta. But now they back themselves into that corner where 
you're kind of like, okay, we like Mark Andrews. We know how good he is, but if he if he gets hurt, who who are you who are you stuck with? Basically, is is the question you have. So, I think the I, if you're asking me, I agree with you. I think Delaney Walker at the end of the day is going to end up in purple in week one. It just makes too much sense. You're not going to be asking him to go out there and play 80, 80 snaps a game. He's going to be in a rotation where you can keep him fresh. It just – you had a surplus. You traded because you you wanted to get draft picks. I understand it. Now you've created a little bit of a mess. So what's your four? Uh, my four is going to be the running back position. We've, uh, we've talked about it a lot, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But it is a loaded group, uh, Mark. Ingram coming off one of the best seasons of his career, but is now coming into year 10. Uh, so kind of as far as a running back shelf life, getting more towards the end of his career. Um, and then the Ravens do add more firepower in that second round with J.K. Dobbins, who is a very talented running back. Like we talked about, it kind of reminds you of that Ray Rice to Willis McGahee transition coming in where Ray Rice took over kind of into his second season. I'll be interested to see how the share of uh, – carries go throughout the season because Gus Edwards also rushed for over 700 yards last year and then got and then uh, Justice Hills that change of pace running back coming out of the backfield four running backs is a lot to keep but the Ravens have always have been pretty clear this offseason pretty consistent saying that's a good problem to have uh, one of the biggest questions I think for far from um, just the uh, the carries um, is going to be whether they actually do keep four I think there's a chance that maybe Gus Edwards has been discussed as the player who could be traded um, it's really all about, I think, what the Ravens could get in return, and I just don't know if that's necessarily worth it. If you're looking at a sixth or seventh round pick, um, I just don't think the value of a running back um, right now is probably worth more than that, uh, a day three draft pick. So uh, the biggest uh, intriguing thing I'm looking forward to is how that shared distribution of carries is going to go between, I think, Ingram and Dobbins to start. Because Ravens rushed for over 200 yards a game last year, and they continue uh, or even get close to that point. Uh, we saw Mark Andrews, I'm sorry, Mark Ingram uh, kind of, you know, get worn down at the end of the season, suffer that calf injury. So now the Ravens do have more depth behind them, but maybe do they give Mark Ingram as much of a, you know, as much of a load as he did last year? I'm not sure. Um, but if you're keeping four running backs and you also include Pat Ricard kind of in an equation because he's, you know, a hybrid fullback tight end defensive lineman. I mean, that's a lot. You're, you're really asking a lot, uh, of roster space to be dedicated towards that position. I understand that's the Ravens offensive philosophy, but man, there are some other positions where there are going to be some question marks that could use another roster spot or two. I just don't know if keeping four running backs is really feasible. Yeah. I, I think the thing with the running back position, and it's part of the reason I don't have it is in one of my fives is it's, it's the luxury and when you are a team like the the Ravens that run so heavily, you need to have fresh legs. And I don't think it hurts at all to have multiple running backs um, that can carry the football, especially in this run-heavy offense. And look, the other thing is, as great as it was seeing Lamar Jackson run, you can now take some carries maybe away from him and – let him keep him fresh or keep him avoiding taking some of the hits and keep the legs fresh for later in the year. So this is a great luxury for the Ravens to have. And like you said, what are you really going to get? I mean, look, Gus Edwards is great. I love Gus Edwards, but I think he's more valuable to the Ravens than he is to another team. Justice Hill, 
I mean, Justice Hill really does not bring much to the table outside of the speed and the change of pace that you talked about. But that there isn't going to be a team that takes them. So, what, you're going to cut a kid you took in the fourth round? Doesn't feasibly make a lot of sense. But I think keeping four running backs is the best thing because, as you said, you, you can spread the carries. You can keep guys fresh. You can help take some off of Lamar Jackson, let him – really be more of a pocket passer at times and just turn around, hand it off. And again, keep, keep him from taking some unnecessary shots if needed. So running back is a great luxury. I think the Ravens have, I just wish, I hope they don't hurt it by making a move. They don't need to. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like you said, a luxury to have, but also uh, a very crowded backfield, especially when you consider Lamar Jackson was a, their leading rusher um, last year. So let's go into your uh, your next uh, position battle. I believe we're on number four. So my next position battle, I'm looking at the cornerback position, and I'm looking more so behind Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters, and Marlon, Marlon Humphrey and Tavon Young. Who's your depth? Who are the two or three guys that you have enough confidence in to play if one of those top four guys go down. And look, we know the Ravens have had some bad years with the cornerback position in hell. So if Jimmy Smith goes down, Tavon Young, if he goes down, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, who's who's that next group that steps up? We've seen Anthony Averett. I don't know if you've seen enough out of Anthony Averett to be comfortable putting him as that first man up if one of the top guys goes down. So are you looking at an Amon Marshall, who we've heard some really great things about, but really didn't get to see because he's been injured uh, last year? So it's it, it's who's that depth at that cornerback position and really in the secondary as a whole, because we had the same conversation at the safety position. Who's the depth guys that DaCosta, D-backs coach, Martindale and Harbaugh have enough confidence in to if there's an injury or a player testing positive that you can go, okay, you can go out there and I'm confident I can put him out there and he's going to be successful. That's the biggest thing because as great as the Ravens are in the secondary, all it takes are one or two injuries to those guys. And if you don't have the right backups, you're in a lot of trouble. So my number five and final one, um, it's, it's kind of tough to say, but I think I'm going to go with the outside linebacker um, group. It's kind of similar to your cornerback spot. You know Matthew Judon's going to be playing on the franchise tag this year, um, going to be their number one option. But who is going to be that second guy uh, to step up? Is it going to be Ty Bowser, who had uh, a better year going to the final year of his rookie contract? Is it going to be Jalen Ferguson, who the Ravens spent a third-round pick on last year um, that we're hoping can take the next step? Could it be an undrafted guy that steps up and, and, and makes some noise in the roster? It's we ha- The Ravens did add other pass rush production guys in Derek Wolf and Clay Campbell who aren't necessarily playing outside linebacker, but uh, Matthew Judon can't be the only guy at the position uh, generating pressure on the quarterback. I'm mostly looking at what it, whether it's Bowser or whether it's Ferguson who's going to be that number two guy to take that step because the Ravens can have a great secondary, but when you're going up against the Mahomes of the world and these other talented cornerbacks in the AFC, you have to get pressure on the quarterback. Um, and it's going to be so important if Matthew Judon's getting the sole attention from the offensive line for another guy to be able to step up 
um, and generate that pressure. And I'm just not sure how much confidence I have in those two guys. Um, they both, I think, took a step forward last season. But is it to that point where the Ravens are considered an elite defense, they have that number two guy that they can rely on consistently for pass rush production? I don't know. I, I just think that's too early to tell. It, it, there's just so much about that pass rushing situation that kind of surprises me because of what you're talking about, the unknowns really beyond Matt Judon. It, it, it's, it, I'm a little surprised it hasn't been addressed. I don't know if it'll be addressed. Um, my number five, though, is who's your backup tackle? Who, because that was going to be Andre Smith, and Andre Smith opted out. I mean, he's 34 years old. Don't blame him at all. Not, not throwing any shade at him, but he was supposed to be your swing tackle that could play on either side of the line in case Ronnie Stanley or Orlando Brown goes down. Now you look at the roster and you're like, who, who's that number two guy? Because uh, James Hurst is gone, and he was the guy last year that really swung and played tackle. Is it Tyree Phillips, the rookie they took from uh, Mississippi State? Or you look at a Patrick, uh, I can't even say his last name, so I'm not going to try, who they signed, who came up as a tackle. You, you're taking gambles at that backup tackle position because you don't really have a bona fide guy there. And we already talked about the combinations that they have to play within the interior of the offensive line. They don't really have that outside if a Ronnie Stanley or Orlando Brown goes down. So I think that's an, a very underrated position of need for the Ravens and, and will be an interesting camp battle is who's that guy that can play the swing tackle position because that's as valuable to have a solid one in case your top tackles go down to help Lamar Jackson because they're at the two key spots on the line, on the edge. You're going to have to block great edge rushers. So who's that guy that they have confidence in that if Stanley or Brown go down, you can be like, yeah, we'll put them in and we'll be okay. We can survive. Because that was James Hurst. As much as we didn't like James Hurst, that was his role. Yeah, we talked about it um, briefly with Aaron Kastmitz, who covers threatingpenlive.com, that threatings have such an elite uh, tackle combo. But you get rid of one of those guys, and there is a significant drop-off. Um, so I agree. It's 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 definitely an underrated concern in uh, a position battle to watch because it's going to be so important because you I mean you don't know coronavirus and that that's a whole new wrinkle. It's just not even injuries alone, but just you know, God forbid, Ronnie Stanley or Orlando Brown Jr. are out with coronavirus. Like who is that guy that steps in? It's it's definitely a big concern. Yeah, it's just it's something you don't think about because you take it for granted when you have two great tackles in Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown, you think, oh, they'll be there. Well, this year is different. I mean, injuries are always a part of the game. We know that. That's understood. Now you've got that variable that you were just talking about to where you may have the unfortunate thing of Ronnie Stanley Kett, or Orlando Brown getting sick or being in contact with somebody that had it. They can't play. And who are you going to run out there? Because, look, we know Lamar Jackson is a great scrambler, and we, he can run, but do you really want him running for his life every time he drops back because Ronnie Stanley or Orlando Brown is not there? That's a big question, and it, it's not like the interior offensive line where you have options to play with, and it's finding the right combination. You don't really have that 
at the tackle position. So it's a big gamble that they need to figure out very quickly. For sure. And I think there's some other ones that we can clearly add in there, but uh, we really haven't gotten too much of a taste of media. So hasn't been allowed to trade camp yet, but I think as the next couple of weeks go on, we'll think we'll have a little bit clearer position uh, on some of these positional battles. And, and that'll be important because there are no preseason games. So really the, the preseason determination of, a lot of these positional battles is these next couple weeks in Trenton camp. Right. All right. Anything else you want to add, Joe, before we get out of here? Nope. I think that's pretty much it. All right. So that is going to do it for us on this edition of the Ravens world podcast. We will be back next week. We're going to continue to draw training camp. Players will be in the facilities working out at, and we will have it all covered for you here on the Brown Network. We hope you guys have a great weekend. Stay safe. And we will talk to you next week. So for Joe Schiller, I'm Dave Steinwell. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. Wear a mask so we can have a football season. So long and good night. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.